You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. Joel Klatt for the first of many Wednesdays throughout the entire football season joins us as he is presented by Audi Flatirons. Joel, good morning. How you doing, my friend? Good morning. What's up, fellas? I, I got a quick question for you. You spent some time in training camp with the New Orleans Saints. Was Sean always a bit of a Richard Nine, or is this a new development? Oh, yeah. It's actually what I love most about him. <laughs> like, he, just he's, he's sarcastic. He says it like it is. Um, and I heard you guys talking, and, and there is, listen, every great coach, every great coach that I've ever been around has this ability to – be bold and incisive, um, be um, unapologetic about what they think and, and how they think about the sport, about others. And and those that generally have thin skin um, are the ones that don't succeed in this industry. You know, so I wasn't shocked at what Sean said. I'm sure it's the truth if he said it. And I don't think he cares that he's getting, quote, backlash. I don't think he cares at all. So the fact that you had coaches around the league say that he violated a code, you had people in his own building saying that he went too far with the things he said, you su- you support him? Not only I mean, what he said, but how he said it? I'm just saying that he, he very well could have gone a little too far, and I probably agree with that. I just don't think he cares. I mean, that's not what he's not there to be, you know, a part of the code. You know, and as as Captain Barbosa says, they're a bit more like guidelines than an actual code, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So, you know, like I, I just I just don't think he cares. Like, it's do do I agree that you should be out there taking shots at, at other coaches? Uh, you know, uh, probably not. And and guess what? If you do. Like, just move on. And, and Sean did. And, and I'm sure that his level of frustration, once he took the job and he saw the reality on the ground, was ratcheted up a little bit. Because, you know, you can think you know about an organization. You can think you know about uh, what has been going on. And then I'm sure he walked in that building and he was like, what in the actual is going on? And, and I think that you see, you see or hear a little bit of that frustration. Uh, but it, you know, as far as a code, it's like, come on, man, these are not the unwritten rules of baseball. This is football and, and we're coaching here and put on your big boy pants and go about your business. Hey, Joel, tell me a little bit about, uh, about training camp for you and going through as an offense early. Mike's a little concerned that this offense has been a little sluggish, new offense, new system, new, you know, new coaches, all that kind of stuff. And I've always said that early in training camp, you know, it, it kind of favors the defense. They just pin their ears back and go and all the drills kind of favor them until you kind of get stuff going. So should there be legit concern that the offense is a little bit behind the defense right now? No, it's to be expected in every camp at every level. The offense is always going to be behind because offense is about um, rhythm and timing and execution and details and, and the attention to those details, whereas defense, while there are some of those elements, is more about alignment and effort. 
And, and so effort is always ahead of execution at this point in the season uh, for every team at, at, at every single level. This offense specifically is, is an offense that is a bit like a flywheel, to, to steal an, an analogy out of Jim Collins' book, where it, it takes a while to get that flywheel going, but once it's going, its momentum creates more m- momentum for itself. And, and it is a very intricate offense. You know, it's a hybrid West Coast offense. Um, and what I think is, is the best about it is, is that once you saw that thing get going and once you see somebody in particular like a Drew Brees really understand that offense, it can attack the defense in any way possible. It is a very malleable offensive system and that it doesn't just rely on one element over another. In fact, it can morph, it can change, it can bend and be, like I said, malleable and fit whatever uh, the personnel uh, that you have that specific year. So am I concerned? No, I'm not concerned. Sean Payton's offense speaks for itself, um, and I do believe that that is the best fit for what Russell Wilson needs to be moving forward. I believe that they will have a, a good amount of what I would call run action and play action pass, which is where I think Russell is at his best. If they can do that, then I think that they'll be a much better offense than what they were a year ago, which is a really low bar to get over. Visiting with Joe Klatt. So you love the Sean Payton offense, but that is the million-dollar question, isn't it? Is Russell Wilson a fit? In the Champagne offense, you think well, that's up to Russell. That's that's up to Russell because at that point you are a a craftsman and you're giving given a set of tools, and it's up to you to try to make those tools work to their uh, to the best of their ability. But you think do you think Russ is capable of that? From what you've seen, especially no, 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 he's capable. There's there absolutely isn't. My question is based on what we saw last year: is is he willing? Right, because he tried to play a game and a style of game and be a, a somebody. I think even from a teammate standpoint, that that he maybe wasn't. And if if he can get back to what he was best at and rely on his strengths and not try to be something that he's not, then this will work. If he continues to think that he is, you know, Peyton Manning and not Russell Wilson, then it will not work. So I think it boils down to his willingness to, to utilize the offense and use the best traits that he has in order to make it work. You know, Joel, I've always said that I never really learned what I liked and I didn't like until I got in a game, got my ass kicked, right? And I was like, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't like that play, right? I don't like that technique is not, does not work for me. So, um, for you, from the standpoint of learning an offense and the standpoint of feeling really comfortable and understanding all the checks and all the nuance and, and all the different looks, how long does it take you to become proficient to where you're really confident every time you're in the huddle? Oh man, that's a good, that's a great question. Um, generally speaking, you're not going to be totally confident until you run everything in your system at least once during a game. Like you've got yeah. at least a game rep. Because I've argued that this position, the quarterback position, 
is the only position in sports that you cannot replicate in practice. It just, you can't do it. There is nothing like a live rep. Now, you might disagree with me, Stink, but I think that, like, as a lineman, you can take a live rep in practice. Mm-hmm. And, boy, that's going to be very similar to what a live rep in a game is going to be. It can be a two-way go. It can be, would, a, you know, a, Joel, a live I would actually, rep. I would actually argue with you it's harder in practice because we're doing one-on-ones. It's a live rep, and you don't have anybody on either side of you. Right where normally you would have point. bodies, you would have bodies and stuff. If you can win one on ones in practice, you're going to be fine in the game. That's a great point. Whereas that that experience doesn't exist for a quarterback. Mm. It has to be a live experience, or else the rep is a practice rep, and those are great. But you better experience all of it. You've got to experience a check. You've got to experience a protection. You've got to see a, a, a defensive structure move. And, and how does your offense react? You've got to see and feel what your wide receiver is, is, is what, what's he capable of in terms of his route adjustments and, and what you guys talk about. It takes a long time. In fact, I, I remember Mike Shanahan used to put it this way. He, he used to put it that he didn't feel like a quarterback was at a hundred percent capacity or close to it in his offense until the end of year two starting. That's a long time. And I tend to agree with that. Now that doesn't mean that you can't have success in year one or even before the end of year two. It just means that you probably haven't rolled through the Rolodex in a live situation until the end of year two. Cause those are the only times that you get, the actual feedback of what it's going to feel like and, and whether you like it or not. So I think it takes about two years in the NFL, uh, maybe a little shorter for a veteran um, in particular, a guy like Russ, who's been through the battles in, in Seattle. So with this system, let's hope it's, it's quick, you know, it's, it's faster than that, but I would say two years. The season debut of Joel Klatt here on the show every Wednesday at this time. Of course, Joel, the lead college football analyst for Fox Sports, and you're going to be calling the first two CU (laughs) games of the season. I know you can't wait. So uh, a a lot to unpack here with the Buffs. Let's start with back to the Big 12. You like it? I do. I do. In fact, uh, yesterday was even more evidence of why the move was so necessary as the Pac-12 came out with um, just a, an, an abysmal you know, television deal. The move to the Big 12 was all about and is all about stability in the future. Um, you know, and and I've, I've talked about this in, in other locations, but the, the television uh, pie was not growing. Okay, and and the the slices of that pie got bigger for the NFL, for the Big Ten, for the SEC. And so there was basically one slice of pie left. There's a finite amount of money out there from television networks to broadcast and spend on broadcasting live sports. There were two two entities that needed deals, but money for only one of them to get a deal that would satisfy them and and stabilize them in the next five and six years. The Big 12 beat the Pac-12 to market. They got that deal. They got the deal with ESPN and Fox. When that happened, the Pac-12 was essentially, uh, I don't want to say over, but but close to it. And 
they're going to have to go and get creative with some sort of, of streaming deal. Well, Colorado saw the handwriting on the wall, and they went to where they're going to get the, the stability of the revenue distribution as well as the exposure necessary both on a linear television front and others to make them a, a brand that is capable of recruiting. And and so I think that it was an imperative move and, and a move that I certainly applauded um, from, from Rick George and Phil. Does, does, it, no. does it happen? On a further if- note, I would just say like the, the PAC 12 deal that they just released, some yeah. might say like, well, man, that looks and sounds pretty good. No, that was a horrendous deal. If the news came out yesterday that the PAC 12 has basically got a framework deal with Apple in a subscriber-based type of situation that maybe could lead to them getting what the Big 12 and the ACC are getting from an annual distribution uh, basis. But think about it from this standpoint. Ten years ago, they bet on the same type of thing with their network, the Pac-12 network, and they thought, well, the demand will be high enough where we can go out there and we can sell it to distributors. But guess what? The demand wasn't there, and the demand will not be there this time. So there's almost no chance that the Pac-12 is going to drive the subscriber number for Apple high enough in order to get revenue distributions that will be even close to what the Big 12 got. So from that standpoint, this was a an imperative move, a much-needed move, and it's a move that I think is, is certainly in the best interest of the program and the school. Well, you just look at the way the, the 60-plus percent of the country is on the East Coast. They don't care about Pac-12 Football, they they don't. So why are they going to subscribe? They just aren't. Uh, Joel, man, it's always great. Real quick, on. does this move happen if Dion's not here? I don't know. That's a that's a great question. I think that that was a, a, one of the you know one one of the dominoes that made them attractive from an upside brand potential for the Big Twelve. So you can make a strong argument, and I know we're trying to go quickly. You can make a strong argument, and I will make it moving forward. That for a team that was the worst Power 5 team in the country, by quite a margin, by the way, that nobody had a better offseason than Colorado. And Rick George was at the center of that. He made the bold decision to think outside of the box and bring in a coach that made Colorado the center of the college football world for a a large percentage of the offseason. And he moved conferences, got away from a deal that was going to be disastrous from an exposure and a revenue standpoint, got into a stable uh, exposure and revenue model. R- Rick George should be applauded on high for what he's done for the University of Colorado this off season. What what a bold uh, decision to to move conferences to hire Dion and and what a future I think the Buffs have. All right, all right, Great stuff. Real quick, I know how much you missed the eight a.m. texters. Here's one. <laughs> oh my God! Now even Clat is part of the Russell Wilson excuse parade. There you go. Welcome back, Joel. I mean, I, Welcome back. Did I, did I really give him an excuse when I basically said it was his fault for for last year? Eight a.m. guys, the eight a.m. people just don't listen, guys. As yeah. you know, yeah. the seven a.m. texters are so much better. Which, by the way, I do this interview at seven a.m. local here in, in California, which is why I'm better than you, eight a.m. <laughs> That's my man. That's a good call. That's the snark that I love from Joel Clad, presented by Audi Flatirons. Joel, welcome back. Looking forward to it every week. We'll see you next week. See you, buddy. Joel Clad. 
Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com. 